This is the Mainly Plants Podcast. My name is Ryan Furman, and I am a certified plant-based nutritionist and personal trainer. The website, mainlyplants.com, at mainlyplants on all social media. Um, contact me through any of those places. Uh, Amazon shopping, mainlyplants.com slash Amazon. Uh, I'll take you right there. Helps you, helps me help you because uh, it uh, helps me continue to do the podcast for free. So when you're going to do your Amazon shopping, go through that. Mainlyplants.com slash Amazon. And lastly, um, get your t-shirts while they last. Esselstyn is my homeboy t-shirts with a little caricature of of uh, Esselstyn on there. If you are plant-based, trying to be plant-based, are plant-based, mostly plant-based, um, you need this shirt. Okay, it comes in men's and women's. Uh, you can find it if you go to mainlyplants.com in the navigation at the top, click shop mainly plants. It'll take you right to the shop or you can go to etsy.com, search mainly plants, all one word, and it's right there. Men's shirts come in two colors. Women's shirts come in two colors. They're super soft. Um, not, a, not a whole lot left, so get them while you can. All right, that takes care of the housekeeping. Let's get right into it, okay? Um, and let's talk about one of the biggest issues of today, and that is obesity and overweight problems, and their sequel, which is a disease that tends to occur alongside with obesity, namely diabetes. If you've heard the news, perhaps you even caught a glimpse of the staggering statistics that now exist on uh, obesity among Americans, which is two-thirds, which means that two out of three adult Americans are now considered to be overweight, and one-third of the adult population is considered to be obese. In other words, about half of the people who are considered to be overweight are classified as being obese. Not only are these numbers high, but the rates at which they have been rising are ominous, okay? Now, from the year 1960 to the year 2000, the percentage of people who were obese increased from around 13% in 1960 to around 30% in the year 2000, which is, I mean, that's still 17 years ago. Now, let's think about it more closely. From the year 1960 to 1980, it doesn't really seem that, that the percentage of people with overweight problems was that different, okay? It went from 13% to 15%, roughly, in that 20-year period. But in the next 20-year period, from 1980 to, 19, or to 2000, essentially it doubled. So what we're really seeing is the emergence of what many people would classify as an epidemic. But what do quote-unquote overweight and obesity really mean? Now, the standard expression of body size is referred to as the body mass index. I'm heard, sure you've seen it, sure you've heard of it. Sometimes it's uh, referred to as the BMI. What this means is that we take the body weight, which is measured in kilograms, and express it, to, express it relative to the height of the individual. So we take into consideration the height of people before we determine the relationship of weight to height. Okay. According to most official standards, being overweight is having a body mass index of about 25. But those who have a body mass index above 30 are considered to be obese. So you should Google a BMI chart and do your homework and see if you are technically overweight or obese. Now the information is expressed 
in kilograms typically, but a lot of times you can find graphs um, that are in pounds if you can't. Um, one kilogram is 2.2 pounds, okay? And be sure to look up, um, it's, usually, it's usually roughly the same, but be sure to look up uh, men versus women chart because sometimes it differs just a little bit, okay? Now perhaps the most depressing element of our so-called supersize or excess weight is the growing number of overweight and obese children. And I was driving down uh, the street, uh, God, this is probably a couple weeks ago, and I was in a fairly predominant uh, you know, upper class neighborhood and I happened to drive by a high school as it was letting out for the day. And I was with my friend and we were remarking, we couldn't believe that like literally seven to eight out of 10 kids that we saw were easily overweight and probably two to three of them were obese. Um, and these are high school kids, you know, what, 15, 14 to 18 roughly. And I, we just didn't, I, we don't remember that. It wasn't like that when I was in high school 15 years ago. There weren't that many, I mean, there were still fat kids, but there weren't that many, you know? Now it's like predominantly fat kids. About 15% of children, or you know, young people between the ages of six and 19 years old, are now considered to be overweight. And another 15% are at risk of becoming overweight. So in other words, and these are, these are the, the, um, the stats, the, the actual you know, facts. So what I saw differs a little bit, but this is just a, a accumulation of statistics. So in other words, a total of 30% of young people are now either overweight or very close to being overweight. Now, when people are overweight, young people in particular in this case, they are likely to face a host of medical problems. For example, they can have increased cholesterol levels and that in turn can translate into increased risk for heart disease. Even at a young age, young people can have heart disease. Now we have evidence, for example, that atherosclerosis which remember is the stiffening of the lining of the artery, the deterioration, the diseasing of the arterial um, lining, is now being seen in very young children, even younger than 10-year-olds, which is in turn associated with these increased cholesterol levels, which are oftentimes associated with being overweight. Now, overweight children can also have a condition called glucose intolerance, which is reflective of a diabetes-like condition. Their blood pressure can be elevated, and then there is a condition that some people um, may have heard of. It's called sleep apnea, which can cause neurological and or cognitive problems. Most importantly, however, overweight young people are more likely to be obese adults compared to young people who are not obese. So seeing this, um, this much obesity, this, this much overweightness, even though it's not a word, in young people actually indicates an increased likelihood of there being lifelong health problems for these children, these, these kids. Now, we know that there are problems for adults as well, of course, who are overweight. This is not anything shocking. There are practical, everyday problems. Obviously, people who have too much weight um, to carry around aren't able to have the same degree of physical activity, and that only compounds the problem. It's a vicious cycle, right? In people who are consistently and substantially overweight, 
just regular routine and mundane things that most of us take for granted are compromised. Um, some people even have trouble tying their shoes. Now that's the short-term everyday problems. Okay. Now in the longer term, obesity is just an indication of diseases that will come. Now obesity does tend to be reflected of future diseases like cancers and heart disease. The AOA, which is the American Obesity Association, has given us some numbers to show the size of the problem. The medical costs attributed to obesity are now said to be $100 billion per year. In addition, we spend another 30 to $40 million out of pocket to keep the weight off in the first place, buying various um, products and gimmicks and health plans and all that bullshit that you hear me talk about and rant about. That's only a short-term solution. That's a lot of money. Um, it's an economic black hole, and it's it's sucking away your money without really offering anything in return in the long term. Okay. Now, clearly, no one wants to be overweight. That's that's obvious, right? So why is it that two out of every three Americans are? And why is one third of the population obese? No, no, don't get me wrong, I, I cheer and I celebrate people for trying to achieve a healthy weight. And I know that there are a, a, a major slew of impediments for a lot of people to reduce their weight. Okay, There's a lot of things that might stand in your way. A lot of personal issues, a lot of societal issues. It's not easy for people to lose weight who are overweight. Um, but you know my regards on it. You know my stance on that. If you want to, you can. Um, you know, no one wants to be overweight, but why are so many people, in fact, overweight? Now, aside from the personal difficulties of people coming to terms with the fact that they are overweight, uh, there's also societal problems that allows and even encourages people to be overweight. Now, we're essentially drowning in this sea of terrible information coming from all kinds of sources, you know, the newspaper, radio, television, the government, the USA, the USDA, the FDA. Um, we're just getting a shit ton of bad information. And too much of it is intended to put money into big businesses' pockets. And what it does is it takes, it takes advantage of people. And it doesn't help people lose weight. We need to have a uniform, healthy, consistent solution. That's obvious. We need better information. And in particular, we need a system that tells people what they can do for themselves for themselves at an affordable price. Now, for me, this is a no-brainer. But the fact is that it's not being enacted. We need to stop telling people the latest gimmick that only that costs so and so and you can have this many points of food per day that is only going to create problems in the long run and more costs for you. And let me break it down a little bit, that example. So what is it, that, uh, that uh, Jenny Craig or whatever bullshit where you can have like a certain amount of points per day and you can still eat the food that you love, right? You can still have the brownies and the mac and cheese and the pizza as long as you have the tiny slice and whatever. Yeah, you'll lose weight, at least short term. It's, a lot, it's hard for people to keep that kind of weight off who are eating like that. But 
more than that, you're still eating terrible food. You're still eating food that's bad for you. So you might be losing some weight in the short term, but you're still going to have problems in the long term. Now, you know, obviously, because you listen to the podcast, that the most practical solution to all of this, to losing weight and staying healthy, is a whole food plant-based diet. Obviously, getting a little bit of exercise is important also. I recommend at least 30 minutes a day. And that this is going to yield you a long-term lifestyle change. And it's not a quick fix, right? Um, this lifestyle change is is a practice that will give you sustained weight loss while minimizing the risk and likelihood of chronic diseases. Now, if we only think about losing weight in the short run, we oftentimes lose sight of what it's really about, which is our long-term health. You know this deep down. I know you know this. So thinking about short-term magic tricks is really not going to do anything for you. Crash dieting doesn't work. You have to be, it has to be sustainable for the long term. Solving this problem does not require magic tricks and certain potions and solutions and complex equations involving blood types or carbohydrate counting or calorie counting, as a lot of people pour time and money into. If you just look around, you can see for yourself who's slim and energetic and healthy and who's not. And while you're at it, consider some, you know, impressive research studies, large and small, that consistently show that that vegetarians and vegans are slimmer than their meat-eating counterparts. There's a ton of evidence that show it, a ton of quality, peer-reviewed, you know, uh, non-big business-funded evidence, okay? Not non-special interest-funded studies. According to a recent summary of seven studies, vegetarians and vegans are somewhere around 10 to 30 pounds slimmer than their fellow citizens. And this really applies to um, to most vegetarians and vegans, except for a small but significant minority, um, which I will explain. Now, in one study, people were told to eat as much as they wanted of the whole foods that were mostly low-fat, whole food, and plant-based. In only three weeks, these people lost an average of 17 pounds. People, some people try, try, can't do that in a year. But by eating a, whole, a, a, a varied whole food plant-based diet, as much as they wanted of it, lost an average of 17 pounds. In other words, what they really indicated was that they could just eat foods as much as they wanted and not think about being on a diet and still lose weight. Now, there's, there is the... My dog's dreaming. Dexter. Um, at the Pritikin Center, which is an old established wellness clinic that's been around since the 60s and 70s, they looked at the information on some 4,500 patients who were run through their clinic over a period of time. 4,500 patients who were on a three-week program at the center. Now, while they were there, they consumed a mostly plant-based diet and engaged in regular exercise. Can you hear them? Dreaming. Um, the clients, Dexter, hey, enough dreaming. Where was I? Okay, while they were there, consuming a mostly plant-based diet and engaging in some regular exercise, the clients lost a total of 5.5% on average of their body weight. Again, only over a period of three weeks. That's tremendous. 
An intervention study, of course, is one in which you take individuals and actually get them to change, and then you see what's happened. For example, one study showed a loss of two to five pounds after only 12 days of switching um, their diet. Another one, 10 pounds in three weeks. Another one, 16 pounds over 12 weeks and 24 pounds over a year. Now, all studies having to do with switching over to a whole food plant-based diet. Now, what does this all mean? I just ran through a bunch of numbers. Let's break it down. And in simplest terms, switching to a whole food plant-based diet, whole food plant-based diet, not junk food, vegan food, whole food plant-based diet, you can eat as much as you want and you will lose a bunch of fat. You won't be fat anymore. You will lose weight. Now, will it work for everyone? Well, a plant-based diet works for most people, it seems. As I said before, it doesn't necessarily work for every individual. I have to put that caveat in there. Now, first and foremost, losing body weight on a plant-based diet is much less likely to occur when certain individuals are consuming too much of refined carbohydrate foods, right? That's like I said, it has to be whole food plant-based. can't just be plant-based. So sweets and pastries and pastas aren't going to cut it. Now, although they are considered to be vegetarian or vegan, um, in reality, those are not the kind of foods we're talking about, right? These foods are high in readily digested sugars and starches, and basically they're just refined carbohydrates. And in pastries, they're usually high in fat. Now, this is one of the main re reasons that I refer to the optimal diet as being whole food plant-based diet, okay? Where the entire food is there and where the carbohydrates, if you're, if you're consuming them, are complex, like sweet potatoes, okay? So now I don't mean if you're eating a carrot, you have to eat the greens. I mean, if you're eating a carrot, eat the carrot. Um, if you're eating a tomato, eat the tomato. You don't have to eat, you know, the little green part on top. Let's not be ridiculous here. You know what whole food plant-based means. In addition to eating the wrong kinds of plant-based diet foods, weight loss might be hard if a person never engages any, in any physical activity. Now, a reasonable amount of physical activity sustained on a regular basis can really boost your weight loss, right? Now, remember, it is 80-20. It's 80% diet, 20% um, exercise. Now, keeping body weight off is a long-term style choice, right? You have to choose to do it. Um, and what I consistently say is that this kind of lifestyle is one that we should be thinking of as a lifestyle practice and not as a diet. It's not a diet. It is your diet. Does that make sense? I hope it does. Gimmicks that improve you know, large, quick weight loss, such as high protein or high fat or low carb diets, don't really work in the long term. They're very hard to sustain. Short term losses in body weight should not come along as they do in those kinds of diets with long-term pain, which there's a lot of, lot of instances of kidney problems, of heart disease, cancer, bone ailments, joint aching, and other problems that are brought on as people persist in these high-protein, high-fat, low-carb diets, okay? Now, if you wanna jump into ketosis, which is, again, it's high-protein, low-carb, I don't have a problem with that, but it's not a it's not something that's going to be long term. Okay, uh, a, a ketogenic diet I don't recommend long term. I recommend it if you're trying to shred for some reason. Let's say you have a 
vacation coming up. It is a diet. It's not a, it's, it is a short-term diet. It's not going to be effective as a long-term diet, okay? If you want to, you know, lose some weight because you're a competitor, because you're um, a, uh, a uh, uh, like a bodybuilding competitor or a figure competitor, a ketosis diet is great while you're training for a certain amount of time. A ketogenic diet is not appropriate long-term. One very large study of more than 21,000 vegetarians and vegans found that the body mass index of these people was lower among those who adhered to their diet for five or more years compared to people who used the diet for less than five years. In other words, this really goes to what I'm trying to say. And that's that one should not only not be using this diet for just a quick weight loss fix, but needs to stay on it. And those who stay on it for five years or more become accustomed to it and actually enjoy it. And they're gonna have additional benefits compared to those who don't. I like being plant-based. I'm not miserable when I eat, I love eating. I enjoy every meal that I have because I enjoy the food that I eat because I've rewired my brain to not care about eating steaks and bacon and and you know all that other bullshit that I used to love. Now I crave quinoa and hummus and tofu and kale and watercress and beets and and all this other great stuff because not only does it taste good but every time i eat a meal i know what i'm getting out of it i can see the tomato i can see the cucumber and i know exactly what each one of those things is giving to my body now generally speaking you need to throw away those simplistic ideas about counting calories okay i found that counting calories is really a simplistic recommendation which is used by those who oppose a change in the type of food that you're actually consuming. Meaning, instead, people recommend counting calories instead of just changing what you're eating. Now, people who tend to be opposed to switching over to a plant-based diet likely say things like, you know, it's just how much food we consume and that that's all that really is to it. It's just the calories. Um, that's super simplistic and to simply talk about calories being consumed as being largely related to our weight problems is erroneous Now, with the whole food plant-based diet we can eat as much as we want and lose weight as long as we're eating the right type of food so that goes against what people are saying or people are thinking because whole food plant-based foods are calorically poor nutritious nutritious <laughs> nutrient dense okay so you don't need to count the calories. You can eat as much as you want. In some studies, those who follow a whole food, low-fat, plant-based diet consume somewhat fewer calories, but it's a rather small incremental decrease in caloric intake. They actually spend more time eating. There's actually been research on this. And they eat a larger volume of food than their meat-eating counterparts while still consuming slightly fewer calories. Fruits, vegetables, and grains as whole foods are much less energy dense than animal foods and added fats. If you've listened to the podcast before, you know this. There are few calories in each spoonful or cupful of these types of whole foods. Now remember that the fats present in animal food, and of course added fats, have 9 calories per gram, whereas carbohydrates and protein have only 4 calories per gram. In addition, 
the whole fruits, vegetables, and grains have a lot of fiber, which makes you feel full also. And again, there has been good research to speak of that. And yet, the fiber in these kinds of foods contributes almost no calories to the meal. So if you eat a healthy meal, you may reduce the calories you consume, digest, and absorb, even if you eat significantly more food. I hope this is all making sense. There's a lot of information, I understand. You might want to listen to this podcast a couple times, but there's a lot of good information here. Now, these are just some of the observations that people who consume a vegetarian or, even better, a completely whole food plant-based diet are uh, likely to, to, um, to uh, realize. Now, this approach of just counting calories, like I mentioned before, is not quite um, good enough. Now, the same criticisms I would make against these high-protein, high-fat, low-carb diets, such as the Atkins diet, namely, what, uh, which initially uh, induces a much lower calorie intake, can also be applied to short-term studies in which subjects consume fewer calories while eating a plant-based diet. Short-term calorie reduction means little or nothing, as people find it difficult to consume um, fewer calories in the long run. And if weight loss is due to calorie restriction, the diet will, won't work in the, in the long run, right? It's just A plus B equals C. Now, that's why other studies form a crucial link to this line of thinking. Studies show that the weight loss effect of a whole food plant-based diet is not due to calorie restriction alone. Okay, so it does play a part, but not alone. These studies document the fact that vegetarians who consume the same amount or even significantly more calories than their meat-eating counterparts actually will be slimmer. Now, you've all heard of the China study. The China study, the China study demonstrated that rural Chinese um, people consuming a plant-based diet actually consumed significantly more calories per pound of body weight than Americans. Now, of course, as we said before, some of that is due to the fact that they are more active, right? Um, a lot more walking going on. Uh, even the least active Chinese people tend to be more active than the average American. Most people uh, will automatically assume that these rural Chinese are going to be heavier by consuming more calories, um, or at least heavier than their, their U.S. meat-eating counterparts, but that's not true. Um, the rural Chinese people are still slimmer while consuming a greater volume of food and more calories. It's because there's a secret, right? What's this big secret? Now, one factor is the process that we refer to as thermogenesis, which refers to our production of body heat during metabolism, namely the calories that are being consumed under these conditions. Now, in the case of consuming a plant-based diet, um, some of those calories are going to be burned off as body heat instead of being uh, laid down and stored as body fat. Vegetarians, excuse me, vegetarians have been observed to have a slightly higher rate of metabolism during rest, and that's reflective of this uh, thermogenesis phenomenon. Um, thus, they burn up slightly more of their ingested calories as body heat rather than um, storing them as body fat. Um, I, I'm not sure if you guys have noticed it. I'm sure, uh, maybe you have. I definitely have. But since I went whole food plant-based, I am a heater. I am always warm, even in the wintertime. Um, it takes a lot to get me cold. So, I mean, I can just tell, you know, this thermogenesis is definitely, definitely being enacted in me because I'm always hot, always sweating. 
Oh, no, we're not always sweating, but always warm. And it's not just because I live in Arizona. Even in the winter, you know, we have weeks where it's 30 degrees and I'm still warm. Um, now, a relatively small increase in met uh, metabolic rate translates surprisingly to a significant number of calories over the course of 24 hours. So if we're actually capable, capable in our metabolism of losing an extra 50 calories a day, which incidentally is not an amount that's easy to measure, in fact, it can hardly be measured at all, um, but it's been shown to be related to a loss of about 8 to 10 pounds of body weight per year. Now, that might sound like a very slow rate of body loss, but if you're losing 8 to 10 pounds of body weight per year, let's say over the period of 3, 4, or 5 years, you can see it really adds up. I mean, say you are you know just from this thermogenesis, you're losing 10 pounds a year, well, that's 30 pounds in 3 years. That's a significant amount of body weight. Yeah, uh, it's really... Um, a very small differential in the amount of calories that are being stored as body fat um, as opposed to calories that are being burned off. Every little bit counts. You've heard me say it a bunch of times. <clears throat> now we're getting towards um, half an hour here. So I'm going to wrap it up soon. Um, and, and next week we're going to talk a little bit uh, uh, about diabetes because uh, that's kind of what comes next from obesity and all the, this information on calories. But like I said before, okay, obesity is really an ominous indicator of poor health in um, Western nations. And I just thought that you know, we, should, we should keep an open mind about a couple of the ideas that have been widely discussed on it. Now, first, we need to be aware of diets and potions and pills and secret weight loss formulas and this and that that create rapid weight loss with no promise of actual good health. Okay, you've heard me rant about it in previous podcasts. All these, you know, Nutrisystem and Jenny Craig and Weight Washers are bullshit. Um, the diet that helps to reduce weight in the short term run needs to be the same diet that creates and maintains health in the long term. Okay, so you need to think about that. Another thought is that considering obesity as an independent specific disease is not accurate. Okay? In recent years, medical authorities have created a specific code for obesity considering it as in fact a separate disease, which I don't think is appropriate. Okay? It gives us the wrong impression of it. Now, if we think of obesity as a separate disease, we tend to lose sight of the fact that it's really related to a slew of other diseases. So in other words, we lose this notion of the larger context, okay? As a result of thinking of obesity as a separate disease, we tend to look for specific cures for just that disease, which uh, is not healthy. A third idea is that we need to forget this premise of there being a specific gene or even a few genes that can be manipulated to control obesity. Okay, currently, the last count that I've seen is that there are more than 20 genes that have been discovered to be related in some way to weight control. Now, there's no way under the sun um, that we can really ever know how all these genes are coordinated and what activities they control um, 
in relation to obesity. Discovering genes for obesity is primarily for the purpose of developing a drug to knock out, our, um, uh, to knock out or, or inactivate those genes. We can control the cause of overweight and obesity without changing our genes. Okay, it's by what you are eating. There is a reason that your body feels better and your your mental clarity feels better after eating a salad than it does after eating, uh, uh, you know, a steak or, or you know, chicken parmesan. There's a reason that we feel better physically when we have a fruit salad instead of a cupcake, okay? By eating the, the latter examples, in those two examples, you are killing yourself, you are setting yourself up for diseases and disorder. There's a reason that these diseases, um, obesity, diabetes, um, and a few others, but for the sake of, of this podcast, obesity and diabetes, um, there's a reason that they're referred to as, as diseases of affluence. It's because in affluent societies, in affluent countries, we see these diseases more because we're eating like shit, because we're gluttons by and large. Uh, so really, really take into account what we talked about today here. Uh, I know there's a lot of information, a lot of numbers, a lot of things said, so you might want to listen to a couple times. But the important thing to understand is that obesity can be controlled, prevented, and reversed by what you are eating alone. Okay. Now, a little teaser for next week. We're going to be talking about diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is 100% reversible. And we'll talk about that next week. Questions, comments, concerns, Please get a hold of me through the website, through social media, or you can email me directly, ryan at mainlyplants.com. Don't forget, go to mainlyplants.com, click on Shop Mainly Plants, pick up your Esselstein is my homeboy t-shirts. They're awesome. I wear mine all the time to the gym, to the movies. I always get people compliment me. Um, kind of kind of weeds out who, uh, who knows the whole food plant-based lifestyle, which is kind of cool. Make new friends that way. Uh, and until next week, go eat a salad. <laughs>